0: If you're listening to this podcast, that means that you like podcasting in some shape or form. And if you have a show of your own, I want to tell you about Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's Podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o co let's start the show hello and welcome to the podcast industry i'm your host david and today we have a very special episode we have a guest guy raz the new york times once described guy raz as quote one of the most popular podcasters in history And it was an honor to be able to interview him to talk about his tips for podcasting. You can hear Guy Raz on NPR's The TED Radio Hour, Wow in the World, and of course, one of the most popular podcasts out there, How I Built This. And without further ado, here's our interview with Guy Raz. Guy, thanks so much for being with us. You know, for the podcasters listening in, What is the number one tip you give to aspiring hosts currently building their podcast audience? I think,
1: you know, the way I I think people should think about podcasts is that it's part of an ecosystem, right? So, you know, a lot of people who I know who are well-known want to start a podcast, and they'll contact me, and they'll say, hey, can I get some advice? And we'll get on the phone, and I'll give them some advice, and they'll go and start a podcast. And then a couple weeks or months later, they'll call me, and they'll say, you know, I only have a thousand people downloading my show or, you know, a few hundred people downloading my show. And I, I'm i frustrated, how do you grow an audience? How do you build an audience? And and there are a couple of responses I have to that question. The first is, it takes time to build an audience. It, it really takes time and a commitment. But the second thing I say to them is, imagine if you went out onto your street corner, you know, or to a local park and you had a bullhorn and you started speaking through the bullhorn. Do you really think five hundred or thousand people would gather around you to listen to you? And the answer is no, it it, it wouldn't happen. So now imagine you are you have a podcast, and five hundred or thousand or fifteen hundred people are listening to it every week. Would you go and speak to an audience that big? And I think the answer for most people is absolutely. I mean. If you can command the attention of that many people week in, week out, that is a huge achievement. Now, it may not make you millions of dollars and it may not make you enough money to live off the podcast advertising revenue because you probably won't make much that way. But it, if you think about it as part of an ecosystem of things that you do, you know whether it's writing books or some people have seminars or educational content or maybe – you know, products or services. Um, You know, let's say you are in the wine business um, and you decide to make a podcast about wine or you've got a restaurant and you have a podcast around, you know, natural foods or organic foods, or you have, you know, some kind of other service you offer, you know, consulting services or home decor, and you decide to do a podcast around that. I mean, all of those people who listen that even if it's 500 people, even if it's 200 people, those are incredibly powerful force multipliers. You know, there's a there's a concept in marketing and it's it's a a lot of people will have heard the concept, but it's that the holy grail of marketing is not about about advertising. It's actually about a a trusted recommendation. Word of mouth.
0: Yeah. Word of mouth is the best way to grow.
1: It's the best way to grow. And there's a concept that Seth Godin talks about called the purple cow theory, which is that if you are, you know, driving in a field um, somewhere and you see a cow eating grass, you're not going to stop your car. But if it's a purple cow eating grass, you're going to stop your car, take out, a, take a photo and put it on Instagram, right?
0: <laughs> Probably, <But> the, yeah. <laughs> the,
1: the point of that is that what you put out into the world should be interesting enough to make a splash. So, you know, the other day I was asked by somebody um, – Who's starting a brewery. How do I differentiate my brewery from every other brewery in my town? And, you know, there are a number of ways to do it. But one way would be to introduce flavor profiles that are just totally outlandish, you know, with, with juniper berries or gin a gin profile. I mean, that's why there's hard kombucha now. There's different, different ways to kind of differentiate what you're doing. And so I think it, it works the same way with podcasting. You know, if you have, if you're starting on podcasting, your goal shouldn't be, and it can't be, to make a lot of money um, from it. I mean it may happen, but it should be you should think about it as part of an ecosystem of the things you do that put your ideas out into the world and establish you as a trusted figure in whatever whatever field you're you're involved with. If your podcast is about, you know, pop culture, if it's a true crime podcast, if it's a podcast about, you know, golf or talking to interesting people, Whatever it might be, make that part of a whole ecosystem around uh, a broader business that that you that you do.
0: Or a podcast about podcasting. And that's what we're doing, connecting with our uh, members and our listeners right here.
1: Exactly. So this is a great example of that because you have a business where you connect podcasters with advertisers, but you also have a podcast, yeah. which... You know, is not going to be the main driver of revenue for you, but it's going to be the source and the reason why people want to join your, you know, Podgo. They want to be part of it because they know that you have access to podcasters and people who can give advice like this, and they want to be able to be part of that. So, this actually makes the whole organization that you have more valuable.
0: Exactly. And I feel like when I talk to a lot of members and a lot of new podcasters, a lot of people don't realize how much work goes on behind the scenes. You've spoken about how you interview your guest for three to four hours. And then the editing process takes, you know, a few hours on top of that. You know, how do you decide what to cut and what to keep? And what would be your tip for the podcasters uh, just starting their editing process now?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the first thing to know is there are right. There are a million podcasts in English. Right. And so and and, and depending on what your objective is, that should determine what your commitment to your podcast is. You know, in general, look, I do this for a living. I make podcasts. That's all I do. I, you know, I write, I've written a book and a couple other things, but but my main core of what I do is podcasting. So it is what I put virtually all of my time and effort into. Um, you know, we, for an episode of How I Built This, we identify somebody after doing some initial research to make sure that they, they kind of, um, you know, or the kind of person that we want on the show, a person with integrity, um, mainly, um, and, and a really good story. Um, and then we reach out to that person and I have a phone conversation with them to kind of learn a little bit more about them and to kind of explain to them how the process works. Um, and also to just be clear that we can't do interviews without any conditions. So if somebody comes to us and says, hey, uh, you know, I'd love to be on the show, but I don't want to talk about this, this, this or that. My response is always, I totally get it. I I understand. But we need to be able to talk about everything. So when you are ready to do that, just let us know. And we would love to have you on the show.
0: Yeah, um, nothing's off limits.
1: Nothing's off limits. And and we say that because not to embarrass people, but just because we want people to be open and vulnerable. We don't want it to be like a, a PR pitch, you know, or somebody yeah, it's like true.
0: It's the true story of how they built the company. Yeah.
1: And everybody's complex. Every human on, on planet Earth has, um, you know, has has gray areas in their lives. Right. No one's perfect. No one is. No one is. Mother Teresa wasn't even perfect. Yes. Um, so the you know the point of how I built this is to show someone's story in a, in a contextualized way, the 360 degree story, because everybody, you know, has flaws. I mean, even people who we think of as perfect. Right. And so then um, we schedule an interview and I do um, usually about 10, seven, anywhere from seven to 10 hours of reading about that person before the interview. Um, we do a really deep dive into their life. We do, we do LexisNexis research. Um, we do we have access to a bunch of background um, databases. We do a whole lot of research on that person and we build a profile on them and then I read it. And then I go into the interview with them And that interview lasts a minimum of two and a half hours, but more normally, more like three, sometimes four. I just interviewed the founders of Riot Games, the the creators of League of Legends. That was four and a half hours. Um, In part because to really understand someone's life in a granular way often requires a really in depth conversation, and they have to trust you. And it takes time to trust somebody, you know. Um, I've met you, David, before, so I trust you, so we can have this conversation fairly seamlessly now. But if this was the first time, it would be a little bit different, right? Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have have any familiarity with you. Exactly. So that's the so that's the first thing, right? Then we transcribe that interview, and we then um, it goes through like four or five rounds of edits where we cut that four hours down to an hour and a half, sometimes two. Um, with breaks and, um, and then that is then scored. You know, we have original music in our library um, from an amazing composer named Ramteen Arablui who started How I Built This With Me and now is the host and creator of Throughline, another great podcast. Ramteen has scored incredible music for the show. So we add that music and then, and then I record an introduction that I write, and sort of linking language between each section. Uh, and then it's mastered at a very high level, and then it gets sent out into the world. Now that is a very highly attuned process that we do because, you know, we have fidelity standards in terms of audio quality, and we have yeah. fact-checking standards. We, we, you know, we go through a really rigorous fact-checking process. You know, there, there are times where I will track um, an introduction on a Monday and on Thursday, right before we, we, we start to get it to slurp up into the podcast um, system, uh, I get a call from my editor who says, you know, there's a grammatical error in your introduction and I need you to oh, no. <laughs> but a grammatical error that nobody would notice, right? So there's a real rigor that goes into it now. We are really, for us, audio quality and fidelity is really, really important. And the reason why it's important, and this drives people crazy sometimes, you know, sometimes we have guests and they're like, why can't I just do this over the phone? What we explain to them is that when you have audio, when, when the audio of an interview is not as clear, it's distracting to the listener. And so the listener is not as invested emotionally in the conversation. They are focused on, you know, the echoey sound, or they're they're distracted, and 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 the impact of the person's words are not as strong. So in COVID, in the COVID era, we've actually because we can't bring people to studios, we actually invested in um, about f- five mobile studio kits that we put together, um, uh, a rode mic um, that is a has a USB plug. It's a very good mic. We bought a bunch of those. We bought some uh, mic arms. We bought um, some, you know, a a couple of um, adapters for people. And we basically, and and also some, you know, foam. And we basically put together a box and we ship it out, FedEx, to each person we interview. Um, And then we get on the phone with them and help them set it up. And we do that with every interview now. So we can, it's not as good as a studio, but it's pretty close. And with um, some post-production and, and you know, um, and compressing and, and, and also, um, you know, running, running that audio through different filters, we can get it to sound pretty much like it sounds in the studio. I would say that now, look, we are operating with a million dollar budget. Okay. We're a little little
0: different than most small podcasts. You know, we have a
1: a staff of 15 it's, it's, it's an NPR, you know, co-production with that. I, I work with NPR on it. So it's a, you know, it's a significant, show right uh, maybe a million dollars maybe 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 high it's maybe it's not that high but it's it's a significant budget right because we have a big staff and we're supporting you know most of the 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 money to pay for the show goes to people's salaries and their health insurance and things like that um, to give them sustainable lives but um, it is ex- it's an expensive endeavor but there are things that a lot of podcasters don't do that they can do um, on a budget of five hundred dollars you know, or a thousand dollars. For example, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of podcasts that I hear um, can, the, the the audio quality can really be improved with some very simple, simple techniques. Like, you know, obviously a lot of people are using pretty decent plug-in microphones. You don't need, you know, a $3,000 microphone, U87. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm right now I'm talking to you on a, a Klim mic, which is Pretty good. It's not the best, but you can get, you know, if you're willing to spend $100 uh, or $150 on a decent USB mic, that's the first step. But the second step, which I think is even cheaper and more crucial, is to find a small space. If you have a walk in closet, or, for example, in your house, where all you need to do is go to Home Depot, buy a couple of tension rods, buy a couple of blackout curtains, okay? because blackout curtains are heavier, buy them at Home Depot, the cheapest no-name blackout curtains. You hang a tension rod in front of you, maybe one, one tension rod or two tension rods, two blackout curtains in front of you, two behind you, and then on the side walls of the closet, you basically go to Guitar Center and spend 40 bucks buying foam acoustic panels, and you just put them up there with some, uh, you know, some sticky tape that you can easily remove you've got a studio. Put some on the ceiling, you've got a studio. I mean, that is a professional studio. Once you do that, your podcast is going to sound like it's going to be in the top 1% in terms of audio quality of podcasts. And you can do that for about 200 bucks. So there are, you know, there are tips and tricks, you know, that a lot of podcasters, if they just took the time to do it, could really actually it could ha- have, it could have a huge impact on on, uh, on the f- audio fidelity. And, and as you will see, it will have an impact on how people connect to the show as well.
0: Yeah, because there is an intimate relationship between a host and a listener because, you know, most people listen to podcasts on their own with headphones. So it's a really up close and personal experience of having someone in your ear.
1: Exactly. So it's a one-to-one relationship. And, you know, as a podcaster, I always think about that one person, you know, I'm not thinking that I'm speaking to millions of people because if I did it, you know, I don't, I'd be broadcasting like a news anchor, you know, uh, on network television, right? Yeah. And it, it's, it's sort of like that voice of God from the old, old media kind of approach. And with podcasting, as you say, I mean it's your voice directly to that person's ears, and it's usually earbuds, and they're usually doing something for themselves—they're running, or they're commuting, or they're cooking. But it's a time—it's time they've given to themselves, and you are with them, and that's why they need to hear you clearly, um, because it's that intimate connection, and it just grows stronger when you can, you know, when you can come in clearly and, and if possible, if you can also help your guests, if you have guests on your show, come in clearly as well.
0: Yeah. So talking about guests, you know, you're one of the best interviewers out there. Do you have any tips for, you know, how to get the, the most out of your guests or how to really get guests to open up about themselves?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, it's ultimately it's about practice. You know, I've been in broadcasting for 23 years. I started when I was, you know, 21 years old. Um, And I, you know, the first few years of doing it, I was okay. And then I was a little bit better. And then now, you know, 23 years on, I'm good at it because I've interviewed thousands of people. And over time, you learn, you know, you just naturally learn to kind of read a room or read a person and, you know, get a sense of who who they are and how they what makes them tick. And yeah. so that's that just happens naturally. But I think that there's some things that um, are are really helpful for sure. The first is to really know if you have a guest to take the time to learn about them. because when you learn about them, it shows it shows the guest that you respect their story. You know, there are, you know, if you go into a podcast interview and the host doesn't really know anything about you and is just kind of throwing questions at you, that's fine. You you, you can get a perfectly fine interview, but it's different if you know things about that person because it often surprises people when they go into an interview and they're like, "Wow, you 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 spent so much time learning about me." Yeah. And it it actually opens something up in their minds. They want to share more with you cuz they're it it's sort of like they're thinking, "If you know this about me, then probably don't know this about me. Let me tell you this story. Um, and, you know, the other thing is to, um, you know, to, to really, um, you know, I have found that, that sharing parts of my story with guests is also really important. So it's not just a one way exchange of information that I'm also relating to their stories by telling them stories of my own, um, as well. And I, I think people appreciate that.
0: Yeah. You know, and like you said, you've been in this industry for so long. It's crazy to think that you were there really at the beginning of that, of the, uh, the growth of podcasts. Um, what has been the, the biggest surprise for you about how much podcasting has grown since you started the, uh, with the Ted radio hour in 2012?
1: I think the, the biggest thing that surprised me is, um, is, And probably should not have surprised me um, is actually how it how quickly it has come to be a force, you know, commercial radio or terrestrial radio, public radio, any kind of radio, right. Terrestrial radio was such a force in the United States for a long time. And then it really began to decline in the 70s with television sixties and seventies. And and the revival of terrestrial radio really began in the seventies with like free form radio and also public yeah. radio. Public radio had a huge impact on that. And then in the eighties, there was a huge kind of push with like talk radio. Talk radio became really, really big. Um and then right wing radio became really big. Now, that is still a force today, for better or worse. Um, you know, talk radio particularly right-wing talk radio is still very powerful in the United, in parts of the United States, but podcasting is, you can look at, you can look at the, the, the trajectory, right? Um, you can look at that, 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 that chart and you can see where it's heading. I mean, it's heading, you know, in a meteorically different direction than terrestrial broadcasting. And a lot of terrestrial broadcasters are becoming podcasters. I mean, that's how, that's how I started. Yeah. So yeah. I think, I think that, you know, for me, I guess I shouldn't have been, but I was surprised at how quickly that happened. The other thing I would say though, is that there really, the difference between terrestrial broadcasting and podcasting is not that huge, right? They're, it's both, they're both audio mediums. It's really a matter of how they're delivered. And also, you know, what, there, there are no restrictions, there are no gatekeepers, you know, in, in terrestrial radio, you've got 24 hours to fill. So there's a limit to what a station will allow for during that time, you know, the content they'll allow for. Well, with podcasting, you can have a, as we know, you can have a whole show um, about just the West Wing, which was hugely successful or a whole show about Harry Potter, um, you know, and, and the magic in Harry Potter, which was hugely successful, or their shows about Disneyland, you know, and, and how to get the most out of it. I mean, there are all kinds of shows about all kinds of topics that would never really make it in, in, You know terrestrial broadcast because of the, the limitations of time and in digital audio there's no limit it's 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 a universe that's endless so that's really why and where i think um it has it has expanded i mean that being said it is such a vast universe now that it's very hard to um discover new programs and and oftentimes it requires you know Media attention or luck, or you know, um, but I think it's the same thing with YouTube. It's the same thing with any product in the marketplace. You know, we have a marketplace where, you know, or or apps. I mean, think about apps. There are I don't even know how many apps there are in the app store on Apple or or on Android. But I believe like fifteen, the the like the top fifteen or twenty apps dominate like 75% of the app market.
0: Yeah, it's very similar with with the podcast uh, industry. Also because, and why how, how I built this is amazing, is it's evergreen content. Because if I want to know about the company, I can come back two, three, four seasons and their story is still the same about how they built that. Um, and you're seeing that, uh, like you said, the West Wing doesn't go out of style, Harry Potter. So uh, I always urge new podcasters to talk about stuff that doesn't expire and I feel like so many people have a sports take that you know tomorrow is going to be obsolete and that podcast is going to be obsolete
1: it's a great great recommendation it's actually the most important one of the most important recommendations and I, I talk about this a lot too which is the reason why when I hosted weekend all things considered on NPR more than 10 years ago I was so proud of the work we did yeah. I mean, I interviewed Eminem and Taylor Swift and I mean Radiohead and, and and I had major politicians on the show on Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. on the radio. But if you missed it, if you didn't listen from five to six, you could go back and hear it on the Internet and it's all archived. You can hear it now. But you wouldn't because you missed it. It's It was real time information. And it always bothered me because we worked so hard on it and it was such a great show and we did such terrific stuff and experimental stuff and told great stories. But, um, you know, if you missed it, you missed it. And then it's out in space and maybe at this point, some aliens, you know, in another galaxy. <laughs> with, with, with podcasting, you know, you put it out there, but with what we're doing, with how I built this and previously with Ted Radio Hour, it wasn't like spur of the moment, like news that is breaking. It's, it's, you're right, it's evergreen content. It's stuff that you can hear now in five years and 10 years. And, and we're trying to make sure that it will still be relevant in five or 10 years from now. You know, And I think that uh, it's a really smart way to think about creating a show because it also helps you build up a cache of intellectual property over time that you can turn into other things over time you know now that's not to say that we shouldn't have sports shows i mean they're great sports shows there's you know uh, bill simmons and and and, and, you know and uh dan uh uh, libertard and you know i mean a lot of great shows out there doing sports and doing news there's up first and the daily doing news um and they're important right um but i do think that for especially for people starting out it, you're not going to compete with those shows right away it's going to be really hard to compete with them um, but there's an argument to be made that if you are doing a show about you know let's say you're you know you've got a you know what's what's an example of a podcast on on in in your in your universe in Podgo uh
0: we have one podcast I was listening to today Midwest Meltdown they talk about uh gaming they talk about video gaming
1: Perfect. So, I mean, that's a kind of show that, you know, obviously it's kind of talking about sh- games that are probably relevant now, but it's got a lo- relatively long lifespan because,
0: yeah, you, you know, people have been playing or
1: League or of something. Legends for 10 years and people will continue to play it. And, and so, and, and that's a kind of, and that's actually a great example of the kind of um, program that really can, can, can become more viral. You know, I know that, um, there are many, many, there are more and more podcasts around gaming that are being developed. But actually, that's a, a yeah. space where I think there's a lot of potential because that world is still really dominated by the YouTubers and, um, and then people obviously on Twitch and, and, and Discord and those, those spaces. But if you could really create a, a breakthrough gaming podcast, um, that – because I don't know if there's a whole lot of crossover between the gaming world and the podcasting world. Um, I don't know what the research shows.
0: A, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Not, I mean, not a lot. I think that there's white spaces uh, in every industry, including our yeah. White space we found of connecting small podcasts to advertisers.
1: <laughs> exactly, which is a really small smart uh, play because, and and that's the thing. It's you you want to look for the opportunities where no, you know, this is what I've always done in my career. I've always tried to go through a side door, you know, um, and, and and try to find something that. Not everyone is doing, um, and or if it seems like something everyone is doing, to try and do it in, in a fundamentally different way, it doesn't mean it's easy. It takes time. It takes a lot of thought and ideation. But um, but that to me is always a smart way to approach things. So if everyone's going big and spending big dollars, and you know why not go small and actually go through the side door and. Um, you know, it's – it's. It, I mean I've told versions of this story on how I built this. Method Soap, those guys, they, they created a soap company in an apartment a group house in San Francisco in the 90s. Yeah. I mean they were going into a market that was dominated by Unilever, Procter & Gamble, SC Johnson, multinational, multibillion-dollar companies. Like why would you take the, those companies on? Well, they did because nobody was making beautiful – Hand soaps and cleaning supplies in beautiful bottles that were organic, that smelled really great, you know, that didn't smell like antibacterial hospitals, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's what they did. They went in quietly and went in small, and they became hugely successful.
0: Well, not only do the the stories in the podcast not go out of style, the stories in the book are evergreen as well. Uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time, guy but uh thank
1: you thank you for having me and uh look there's the 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 reality is there's no secret i don't have any sort of hidden secrets the only secret is to keep going and to keep pushing and to keep iterating and to keep interrogating what you're doing and that's it you know that that's the secret
0: i look forward to seeing what you have in store for us
1: (laughs) all right thanks david
0: Once again, thank you so much to Guy Raz for taking the time to sit down with us and talk about podcasting. I thought his insight was amazing. If you're a podcaster yourself, I hope that you got some value from listening to his tips for how to start a show. Guy recently just wrote a book called How I Built This, The Unexpected Path to Success from the World's Most Inspiring Entrepreneurs, which you can buy wherever you purchase books. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please Rate and review us wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to hear our latest episodes breaking down what's happening in the podcast world. And I hope to see you next episode.